Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Hello, my name is Ed Clementi. I'm uh, your host today, and it's a real pleasure. This is an organization I've been fascinated with since I've been a little kid even. But uh, today, our guest is Damian Pocari. He's the director of the Elijah McCoy Midwest United States Patent and Trademark Office. Welcome to the show, Damian. Thank you so much, Ed. I'm glad to be here. And I've been fascinated just because I don't know why, but even when I was in the legislature, patents, I think, is what has made America a great country historically. And why don't you first give us the sort of 30 seconds, kind of what the patent office is for someone that never heard what it does. Cool. Um, Well, patents are actually described in the Constitution, uh, Article 1, Section 8. It's uh, to promote uh, science. and the useful arts and that and copyrights were part of our uh, nation when it was first built in the 1700s. Um, and it, it, it was intended for just that. It differed from England. England gave uh, patents to by the crown to specific friends of the crown, whereas the United States developed a different system uh, where we gave in rights to the inventors and the authors to protect their specific invention. Um, the, the founders knew that you needed to have a commercial incentive to spend money and time to create new inventions. And that's why they um, developed our system. And we think we differed very greatly from Europe, continental Europe, uh, by having these individual rights uh, to the creators and not to people associated with the crown. We're going to get into that a little bit more down the show, but I want people also to know just the basics of it, because I think I was in, again, in the legislature when they announced they were going to be opening the patent office. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought this was the first patent office outside of Washington, D.C. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it was part of the um, law called the Americans Invents Act, which uh, is coming up on our 10th anniversary, September 16th. So 10 years ago. Um, the Americans Invent Act did a number of things, but one of the things that it did was establish the uh, regional offices. So we currently have four regional offices in addition to our headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. And so the first one, which was actually part of the AIA and was named after a Detroit, a famous Detroit inventor, Elijah J. McCoy, uh, was established um, in the office opened about eight years ago. Well, uh, I was. I also used to be a history teacher, so I just want you to give sort of. I love Elijah McCoy, so I was so glad when they named it after him because I've been to his couple. But he's got an interesting story. You don't have to go too deep dive in it. But why did you guys pick that name? Uh, so one, Elijah J. McCoy is the uh, son of fugitive slaves. One of the few that actually utilized the Underground Railroad here in Detroit, where they escaped into Canada, and he was born in Colchester, Ontario, just across the river from. Detroit, uh, couldn't go to school in Ontario because of his race and went to school in Scotland, became an engineer, 
uh, but couldn't find work in Ontario and eventually moved back to Detroit. Uh, the only work that he could find was in Ypsilanti for the railroad where he was an oiler on a steam engine and had to crawl over a a moving steam engine to oil the different parts and said, there's got to be a better way and um, developed the self-oiling steam engine and left the railroad and started making the oilers as part of his own company. So he was actually both uh, an engineer, an inventor, and an entrepreneur who made components, made his own inventions. Uh, and so he had a number of inventions at the time. And our uh, office is named after Elijah J. McCoy. Yeah, I want listeners to make sure they go to the Wikipedia site. It's a pretty nice read. Um, let's talk a little bit about the difference between a patent and a trademark. What is just quickly? What do you tell people the difference is? Oh, uh, sure. So a patent is actually either a product or a service that you sell, um, and so it's an invention, and it is protecting that invention for a limited period of time. Now it's twenty years for most of our inventions, fifteen years for designs. Whereas a trademark um, is actually identifying the source of goods that can last indefinitely. You know, so my former employer, Ford Motor Company, has been around for over 100 years. That name can go on indefinitely. But the original patents that Henry Ford had for his car, they expired after 17 years. Now it's 20 years. So the difference is, is a patent protects a thing or a service for a limited period of time and a trademark identifies the source of that good or service indefinitely. Okay. Yeah, I think everybody's got ideas in their head, whether it's Coca-Cola or any of those things. Um, the two things, though, you did trigger, and I'll, I will get to the second one, but you did mention you work for Ford, but I think your story is even more interesting as an individual. Uh, you're a first-generation American too, right? You, I am. you and I share a couple similar things, but uh, where were your folks from? My parents were born in a little town between Rome and Naples called Norma, and they immigrated to the United States in the 50s, and I was born in 59. So I was born here in Detroit at a Salvation Army Hospital just south of the Ambassador Bridge. Were you born in Booth Memorial? I was born at Booth Memorial Hospital. So was I. I was born. You're kidding. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it's tore down. It's an empty space now. It's an empty space now. Not far from uh, Fort Wayne. Yes. Yeah. No, no. I I, told, I pointed out on my tours. Um, so, but then you also, you're one of the few people I think I've interviewed so far that actually also grew up downriver too, right? Yeah. So in uh, high school, my parents moved out to Southgate and I went to uh, Southgate Schaefer High School for a couple of years and graduated from Southgate Schaefer. Once again, that school doesn't exist either. Sorry. Once again, that school doesn't exist. <laughs> My grade school doesn't exist either. My grade, I went to Hunter Elementary, which is no longer there. And that whole <laughs> corner of Detroit is now turned into a, a bit of a park that Marathon Oil is now acquiring. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know the area. So let's talk a little bit about um, this is the trademark thing or even patent thing. You said 17 years. In today's modern world, is 17 years like a viable number? Should it be shorter because of turnover with technology? I mean, that, that's kind of more of a global question, I think, because you see China and all these other people competing with us. Yeah. So it's, it's it used to be 
17 years. Now it's 20 years. Um, you know, that's a good point. And there are debates in Congress on what the right number is, uh, whether it should be a shorter period of time for things that change rapidly, like software or a longer period of time for things that take forever to change, like a factory design. Um, you know, that's a great question and something that legislators are contemplating right now. So there's uh, two different time periods in the United States. You've got 20 years for utility patents and plant patents and and 15 years for design patents, but that could change. Uh, and again, I think as technology evolves, uh, there are different factors that you can consider and Congress can change those, uh, those statutory uh, periods. Is there a global protection sort of platform for international corporations or something like that? Or So, so right now there is no such thing as a global patent. Um, there was a treaty called the, uh, the Paris Cooperation Treaty where you could file a patent in one country and then file in other countries based on that priority filing. Typically, you either have to file within uh, 30 months for a PCT application or there are also national applications where you have to file within 12. Uh, but no, there's no such thing as a global patent and you have to enter into every country that you wish to get patent protection. Now, Europe has formed their own cooperative where you can file one European patent and get protection in all their member states. And there are a number of other groups that exist just like that. Uh, but today, there is no global patent file one. It works everywhere. And the same is true with trademarks. You have to file in all the countries in which you're selling or using a product or a service. And you sort of Kind of where your compass had is, took you to this job somewhat because I thought you I thought on your resume something about the U.S. Army and then also uh, Ford Motor Company, right? Yeah. So I um, so when I was in law school, there was a recession going on back in the eighties, and the car companies weren't hiring, uh, and so I I uh, like many students would uh, go to classes taught by adjunct professors. Adjunct professors are frequently people who have a full-time job and then teach law on the side. And I would, you know, pick all the classes taught by adjuncts, sit in the front row and uh, try to be interesting uh, to hopefully get a job. And one of the classes I took was government contract law taught by uh, Dick Tarnas, who was at the time head of the uh, uh, tank uh, automotive command in Warren. And he said, son, you got the uh, blue book award, which is the highest grade in the class. Are you interested in government contracting? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And I got a, uh, I got an internship out of that class and eventually joined the intellectual property group at the department of army and worked there for seven years. And then, uh, uh, the Berlin Wall came down and it was bad for the army, but good for uh, private industry and switched over to Ford Motor Company in the in the 80s. And I know you probably, I assume, did a lot of patent and uh, trademark things for Ford Motor Company, I would guess, right? I did. I did. I think I think the reason that I got the job at Ford initially was the entire intellectual property group was consumed by a giant lawsuit by Bob Kearns on intermittent windshield wipers. So all of these senior attorneys had spent years on that case and were looking to spend another couple of years. And so they needed help. And so I got my job because of Bob Kearns intermittent windshield wiper 
case. Why Michigan? Like, well, how did we get picked? I mean, it's a huge, I think it's a huge honor. I don't think a lot of people in Michigan understand why it's a big deal that it located here and what that means competitively somewhat to be in Michigan with all of our intellectual property lawyers and engineers and all those kind of things. So at the time, uh, Michigan was represented by, you know, um, uh, John Conyers, who was head of the Judiciary Committee and needed some 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 economic development and a patent office was intended to spur both um, intellectual property thinking around the region. You know, we do a lot of outreach both in Michigan and the other uh, eight states that we serve, um, but also pull from the region from a cadre of engineers and scientists. So the thinking was. If you put a regional office in Detroit, you can get people to work for the patent office that came from industry, specifically the automotive industry. But you can now also connect with industry, specifically the automotive industry, and um, and inform people about how intellectual property can advance their business. And so it was a an incubator, a spark, a um, uh, a growth mechanism. So we, we, the PTO can grow because we get smart people from the area that are trained in a specific technology and that we can continue that growth within the region ourselves. You're listening to the Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. How does somebody who's got an idea for a patent, like what is what would you tell somebody that doesn't have Ford Motor Company behind them? You know, what what would they, how could you control, you know, something you created? Um, that's a great question. There are a number of independent inventors that have been uh, in our region forever. And I'd say, you know, all of the original founders from Oldsmobile to Ford um, to um Chrysler uh, to the Fisher brothers were creating in their garages 120 years ago. Um, And so you can actually develop a business from a backyard garage. It is hard and most fail. And it it is a a, a difficult challenge to go from your background backyard uh, to a giant global enterprise. Uh, So I would look at incremental steps, but uh, to that end, uh, I would probably split my ideas. Is it to have my own business where I'm making things or am I looking at creating an invention and then licensing it to someone who would? Uh, those are two very different business strategies. So we, the PTO, don't typically advise on business strategies. There are other governmental entities like SBA and their affiliates like the SBDCs uh, that can give you that business advice. From an invention standpoint, PTO, Patent and Trademark Office, we provide some, um, we provide many uh, services to tell you whether or not your idea is patentable and how different it is from everyone else. So that's where our job comes in. Is your idea unique and is it um, meritorious of a patent? Whether or not that patent will support your business. There are other groups like the MEDC uh, and and others that will tell you if it's a good idea or not. We'll just tell you if it's new or not. Yeah. And I think you and I talked a little bit in the pre-call that we want to help start helping you 
promote uh, some of the programs you guys offer, correct? Yes, absolutely. So we PTO offer many classes. We have this eight-part series on Path to a Patent where it kind of walks you through the various steps and we're augmenting it to be even uh, more thorough and more complete. Uh, We run that every... we run our basic classes every single month and we run some of the more specialized classes multiple times per year. Uh, so that would be a first step that you, that uh, an aspiring inventor or an entrepreneur might want to take. Um, but that, that I think is just part of the story. Um, a good part is on in protecting intellectual property and then working with MEDC or the other um, business development groups around the state can give you the other component of how to build a business, how to identify the value of your intellectual property and how to commercialize it in some way, either yourself or through licensing. You know, as we go through this, um, you did touch a little bit about international, but have you noticed in this kind of a bigger, broader question, but like future trends, disruptors, I mean, you've been in this business most of your career, it seems like with the growth of the internet or like things like industry 4.0, like technology is even, that was kind of tied into my other question is how quickly things become either antiquated or get leapfrogged sometimes, you know, with patents and things like that. Do you find that actually a better, or do you see other challenges for people to be able to harness because how quickly technology and access with the internet, you can find out all kinds of things you never used to be able to find out. So has that accelerated your process, you think, a little bit? Um, yes, I think it's accelerated not just how PTO looks at technology and examines things. We PTO are utilizing artificial intelligence and in, in identifying prior art and combinations uh, and examination. Um we make all of our data, our patent examination data that's public, available to the public for free. Um, your patents are, are not published for the first 18 months, but thereafter, almost all of them become public information and they're available free to everyone. And um, people do some very clever things with our data. Um, a former co-worker of mine, Chris McGee, who's now a professor at MIT, has looked at patent data and has developed a kind of a predictive scale on how quickly different technologies are growing. So people are familiar with Moore's law. He was the head of Intel and said that uh, the computer chips would double in power every 10 years. And so he, um, Chris McGee is doing that same kind of analysis for all the different technologies. So you could look at internal combustion engines, how quickly are they growing versus electric motors or electric batteries. Um, And so what that does is it says, where should you invest your assets? If you're a business or you're an investor, you know, you can identify these technological trends and make your investments in things that you think are growing more quickly. Yeah. In fact, I know we talked about him on a pre-call and you said you're going to get him lined up to do the podcast, I think. <laughs> I've asked him to do that. <laughs> so anyway, he sounds very interesting. And, and that's actually a very interesting trend if you can predict AI and the algorithms of how inventions are, you know, like, is it all going electrical? Is it going hydrogen? You know, those kind of things, right? Well, you definitely see, you don't know what's going to work. You see, what you see from the patent literature is what people are working on. And by looking at the number of inventors and the number of assinees, 
and where they're located, you can see the trends. You can see the, the population of inventors are growing, the number of companies in a particular area are growing, and you can see where they're located physically. So is there anything else you think that would be uh, something that you think is going to be on the horizon that might affect your the patent, like a future trend maybe? So there are a number of trends that are growing, you know, certainly in the auto space, autonomy is a big growth product as well as electrification. All, all forms of transportation seem to be going electrification. Um, but as a generic trend, artificial intelligence seems to be integrated into just about any and every product that you can think of. And the PTO has seen that trend. Um, and the big, uh, the big issues today are, uh, can a, non-person be an inventor uh, under U.S. law. We, we, we have actually rejected a patent application for a robot invention, an invention created by a robot, not an invention on a robot, but an invention that a robot created. So under U.S. law, um, we're requiring uh, that you have to be a person, uh, but other countries don't have that requirement. And, um, you know, that's that's an interesting question. What happens if robots can get patents in other countries, but not in the United States? Will that hinder our competitive nature? Seems like we're getting closer to the singularity than we like. Well, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting issue. And the connection between law and economic growth are, are important. Yeah, no, pretty fascinating. So uh, quickly, we're running out of time, but I had a couple quick questions for you. Um, I think your career has been fascinating and what you do is even more fascinating now, I think. Uh, what career advice would you give to like if you spoke at a commencement address or someone even mid-career, say they get displaced by disruption, right? Like what would you tell people to kind of move their careers into if you could talk to them? Um, you know, at my age, first and foremost, something you're interested in, um, life is too short to do something you hate, you know, I, yes, you got to feed your family, but boy, um, doing something you're interested in usually means that you're better at it. Uh, what, what I've done is, um, I've actually talked to students and say, you know, you can use intellectual property to help find a job, to help suggest things you're interested in. So if you have to live in a certain city because your family lives there, you can find all the employers there. You can see what they're working on. You can see the trends, what's going up and what's going down. Patents and trademarks actually give you a terrific insight in business activity. And I would highly suggest, you know, looking at that in terms of where you want to live in terms of your interest level. You know, if you're interested in a specific thing, like my passion is bicycles, um, you can find all of the people around the world that are working on the technology that you're interested in, as well as their suppliers and their partners utilizing these data sets, these patent and trademark data sets. Um, and so. It's available, it's free, and it's fairly easy to use. Uh, I think it's a terrific asset that can be uh, better utilized by people. Yeah, and I think that kind of harkens back a little bit to your original statement of why the U.S. created the patent as an individual opportunity versus like a, you know, open source only when you said they created the Constitution to do that. Because I think quite a few of the founding, you know, people of our country, they were all inventors too, a lot of them. Well, certainly that, you know, the first uh, director of the patents system uh, was Thomas Jefferson. He was secretary of state. Uh, he examined the first patents. They were issued and signed by the president of the United States, George Washington. 
Uh, in fact, George Washington purchased the third patent that he signed, which was a system of um, uh, it was a grain uh, elevator system uh, that he par- he purchased and and um, installed at Mount Vernon. I, you know, and I, I don't know if this is urban legend, but supposedly Abraham Lincoln created a patent here. He got stuck on an island in the Detroit River. Uh, I think it's Fighting Island on the Canadian side. But he came up with an idea how to float like barges or something, how to get out of the water. And he kind of worked on it here when he was stuck. But I don't know how true it is. Yeah, I don't know the, the location, but he did obtain a patent for floating a steam engine over uh, sand um, uh, build up in rivers. Yes, he did. Yeah. Well, so the last question is the easiest one, maybe, but uh, you've lived in Michigan your whole life. And obviously, uh, you probably have had a great chance to sample most of the state. What do you like best about living here? You know, um, it's uh, one. Thank you for asking me that. I would have to say Lake Michigan, the entire western coast of the state is terrific. And uh, every chance I get, we head out to the west side of the state. We walked um, uh, Frankfurt Park just last week and, you know, walked up and down both sides of uh, Frankfurt Beach. And it was just spectacular. Yeah, it is a gorgeous state. And uh, well, anyway, I really want to thank you for taking time and I'd love to get you back on because there's a whole bunch of other questions I didn't get to. Anytime. And, uh, you know, your listeners are free to uh, look us up and we'll we'll be happy to talk to their groups or their businesses and uh, to connect more. That's our job. Yeah, I might be following up with you with some groups. Uh, Once again, our guest was Damien Picari, director of the Elijah McCoy Midwest Regional United States Patent and Trademark Office. Thanks again for doing this today, Damien. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion. 